Testing, there you go. It was just a test. How many of you feel like you've been having tests your whole life? All right. I think about legacy, and uh, your pastor is a legacy of mine. You have a good pastor. It's been my privilege to work with pastors now for almost three decades. The thing that I love about Jeff and Christy is, and, and, and it, it's not, um, you have to understand the foundation that this rests on. When you work with a lot of pastors, there are a lot of gifted, talented pastors out there today. A lot of great churches in our country and around the world. But I believe it takes more than gifts and talents. It takes a good heart. It's like, uh, and ladies, you know what I mean by discernment. The gift that God's given you when you know somebody's real or just not real. And I will tell you about your pastor. He's genuine and real and authentic. He's an encourager. If Jeff ever makes a mistake in his life, it won't be on purpose. And when he called me this week to pick up his daddy at the airport, bring him from Atlanta over here, it lifted my heart because for a couple of decades, I'm telling you I had no better friend on this earth than Don Murphy. No one ever made a greater impact on my children than Don and Jeff Murphy. And uh, I don't have time this morning to tell you the stories of, of what our kids are involved in now around the world. So Jeff said, if you're going to pick my dad up, you got to preach. And I want you to know of all the things I get to do. Hunt, fish, I've got the, the wife of, a, of, a, of the dream of a lifetime of kids and, and soon to have nine grandchildren. My wife and I will have nine grandchildren. I know you look at me and say, that's impossible. But that's true. There's no privilege I have greater than fulfilling the call of God in my life. That is to stand up here and get ready in a minute when I pray to step aside and let God speak to our hearts. So thank you for letting me be here and for you having such a encouraging pastor in my life. This is a journey of faith. Our, our organization is Hope Partners International. We work in the poor slums around the world from Costa Rica all the way to India with the lepers. And, uh, and I'm just grateful to have this chance to meet you this morning and, and to talk about legacy and what I believe that is. When I looked at the kids up here, we dedicated their parents and these children this morning and we think of our grandchildren we live in a different world today. We need to be in prayer in a moment for the people of Paris that have lost loved ones and family members. Around the world, atrocities are happening at a rate greater than anything in my lifetime. And our hope is that our children and grandchildren will have the kinds of things inside of them that only God can give them to endure the days that are ahead because I do believe they will be difficult. So if you'll allow me this morning, I want to get my heart ready for this talk. So let's bow our heads together in prayer. Father, I come to you this morning in Jesus' name. I think about the, uh, uh, the very difficult time that the people of Paris and France are facing today. A reminder of just a moment ago of 9-11 and what it felt like to be attacked. But deeper than the attack is the loss of family, of children, 
I pray that you would comfort those people and that that the Holy Spirit of God would put Jesus close to them. I pray that you would grant the leaders of our world wisdom for we do face difficult days. I pray, Father, that as you have planted us right here in Columbus, Georgia, that you have brought me here through, through my friend Don, that I wouldn't just pull something out of the file to talk this morning, but this new message on legacy that Jeff has asked me to bring. God, I have prayed, and all the things on my heart and mind, these are the thoughts you've given me, and so I pray, Father, that as you have reached down and picked me up like a pen to write a, a talk, that nothing would stand between you and I. Forgive me of my sins, for they are many. And in the quietness of these moments, I pray that we might hear the soft sound of sandaled feet. Jesus, if you would honor us with your presence, if you would teach us and talk to each of our hearts this morning, that when we go out of here, we will be encouraged. And what you've called us to do is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. This is a week that I'm not looking forward to. We just passed Veterans Day. I came to realize that it's the first Veterans Day in my lifetime. That first thing in the morning, I wasn't able to pick up the phone and call my dad. On June the 1st of this past year, God reached down from heaven and he took my dad into his presence in the presence of my mom who died in 2004. You can be 60 years old or 15 years old. It's not a good feeling you have in your heart when you're reminded on a birthday or a holiday you're coming up to Thanksgiving or Christmas or just a Friday afternoon riding along in the truck when your wife leans over and says, why don't you pick up the phone and call your dad? So this Saturday, my brother and I are traveling with our wives to a little community in South Carolina called Leslie, outside of Charlotte, Rock Hill. We're going to take my dad's ashes, and I've, I've been putting together containers for his ashes. We're going to dig a hole in the front of the monument where my mom's buried. Dad wanted to be cremated and read the scripture, and, uh, and put Dad's physical body down next to my mom. It seems like just yesterday, it was 2004, 4th of July weekend, that Mom, who had suffered Parkinson's more than three decades, was up on the deck with me, and she slipped and fell and broke her elbow, and we had to have an operation. In the wee hours of the night and over the weekend, my daughter, who's a nurse practitioner, unwrapped her arm to check the wound, and she had incurred a staph infection in the hospital. The doctors wanted to amputate her arm and take all her metal hips out of her body and all for this form of staph infection, and I'll not ever forget my dad going in and putting his big arms around my mom to tell my mom what the doctors wanted to do, and my mom looked up and patted my dad on the face and said, Bob, please don't let him take my arm. It's time to let me go. And the last thing she ever said to my dad was, Bob, I love you, and God put me on this earth for one reason, and that was to help you know him. My dad was coming out of the war and went to Camp Gordon, Augusta, Georgia. My mom, a little old college girl, had gone with her girlfriends from her church, a church just like this, and had gone to pass out coffee, tea, and pimento cheese sandwiches. Good Southern tradition. 
My dad was with his best friend and some other men out on a rock wall there, Camp Gordon, outside their Quonset hut, and my mom came by and said, excuse me, my dad stood up and introduced himself. She sat down, and for the first time in my father's life, for the first time, somebody cared enough to share the gospel with my dad. So there she was, ready to go home and meet the Lord. And in a few days, she was in the presence of God. And since 2004, every time you'd talk to my dad, I would ask this question. I'd say, hey, Pops, how are you doing? Sitting in that double white trailer in Ocala, Florida. He'd say, son, I just don't understand why God doesn't take me home. I want to see your mom. So here we were. My brother called me in the week before June 1st and said, now you'd have to know my dad. I tell people all the time. When they asked me, uh, tell me about your dad, I said he was a man made for two things. He was made for hard work and war. He's a coal miner, a bridge builder. He was made for the Korean War. So my brother calls and says, you need to get down here. Dad's fallen and broken his back and hit his head. It doesn't look good. And so my wife and I got in the truck and we drove down there. And I got to the hospital and he was sitting there drinking coffee ornery as ever. I said, Pops, how you doing? He said, I need to get out of here. Well, I stayed with him that night, and because he'd hit his head, it triggered something in his brain. He was having these horrid dreams during the night, remembering his childhood and the war and all kinds of things. It was just, it was terrible to experience for him. And then in the next few days, his face started to droop. He lost his balance. The doctors came in and said, uh, Mr. Nowry, something is happening in your brain. We need to open up your head and, and go in there. You have a bleed or something. I'm his oldest son. I think there's something about being the oldest. My brother, who's fire chief in Ocala, Florida, is standing there with me, and he my dad turns and he looks at me with a look of just like my mom looked when they said we need to take your arm. I said, doctor, would you give me a minute? So the doctor went out. I said, what is it, pops? He said, I'm ready to go see your mom. On that next Tuesday, we made dad real comfortable. And my father always had a look on his face. Now, men, I need you to listen to me. My father lived his whole life, his whole entire life, feeling like he didn't measure up whenever he came to church. Over the years when the pastor would say, Mr. Nally, we want you to teach a Sunday school class. He'd say, no, I'm not qualified. I need you to be a deacon. He'd say, no, I'm sorry, I'd like to, but I'm not qualified. My dad had for his entire life this, this uh, sense on the inside that he didn't measure up. We never knew why. I was 50 years old, 50, when I found out something had happened in my dad's life when he was 20 years old. My mom asked him never to talk about it. As long as she lived, don't ever talk about it. And so my dad lived 70 years of his life on the inside thinking God wasn't happy with him. I want to say something to you this morning that when I put my, dad, my arms around my dad's neck on that Tuesday night, that look on his face, I'm afraid to see God. 
Now listen, if this is the last time I ever get to talk to you, let me talk to you about this. This is the one thing that I think I'm best at, helping men cross the line of faith. Every one of us are going to stand face to face with God. Your pastor and I, we wish we could do it for you. We really do. You know how it is when your kids hurt or get in trouble or something goes wrong and you wish you could take their licking for them? Well, this is one you cannot. You cannot have someone else stand in for you. You'll stand face to face with God. And my dad is just hours from standing face to face with God. To my dad. I'm here to tell you, I believe Don Murphy take a bullet for me. Well, yes, he has taken some tough shots for me. I believe Jeff Murphy would come. If I called him and I was in Alaska and I said, Jeff, I need you, he'd come and stand for me. But when you stand before God, there's going to be nobody there but you, fellas. And when God looks at you and says, why should I let you into my heaven? It's only because of what Jesus did. You can't measure up. There isn't enough church you can go to. There's not enough good things you can do. There's, there's not enough giving you can do. But God will look at you and say, you are a good guy. Let me let you in. He can only ask you one question. What did you do with my son, the Lord Jesus Christ? And so here my dad is, hours from face to face with God. And a son knows his dad now. So I looked over at him and he had this look of, of sadness, just deep sadness on his face. I said, Pops, you all right? Had a cup of coffee in his hand. Dad drank coffee all day, all night. I said, you all right, Dad? There's some people in the room. He just looked at me. He was kind of, kind of white, you know. I asked everybody to leave the room. I said, would you all leave? I don't want to stand here. Mark, you stay. That's my youngest brother. I walked over and I just put my arms around him. I said, Dad, it's not long now. You're going to see Mom. I said, now, Dad, pray with me one more time. Now, I, I have in my hands two different baptism certificates from my dad since then. And I can remember the stories of how my mom helped my dad pray a prayer of faith and another time he prayed the prayer of faith. Over my lifetime as a pastor, people will come to me and say, well, they prayed back then. And Jeff and I will both teach that once you invite Christ into your life, you know, he's there. He's got you. He won't let you go. But I'm willing to admit that there have been nights that I've laid in my bed in a hotel room somewhere around the world and thought this. You know what, God? If I didn't mean it back then, I'm going to pray that prayer again because I mean it right now. I do. In the middle of a war zone or a famine or in the midst of yellow fever, tuberculosis, AIDS, infection, threats of death, I'll say, God, right now I'm accepting you into my heart again right now because I mean it. And I meant it. I put my arms around my dad. I said, Dad, you're getting ready to go see God. You're going to see Mom. Now, pray with me one more time. And I prayed the center prayer. And in that weakened voice, my dad prayed. He invited Christ into his life. And I believe my dad was already saved, but I want you to know who that helped. Do you know who that helped when I heard my dad pray? It helped me. Hear my dad pray that prayer. Because standing on this stage today, I believe that there's coming a day. I turned 60 this year. And I hope I make it to 90. Probably won't. 
But I want somebody, when they're standing next to my bed, my wife, or my kids, or my friend Don, or Jeff, to say, it's going to be okay. You're on your way to see your mom and dad. Put my arms around my dad, and I'll take his ashes this week. Let me tell you what they represent. They represent a life of responsibility and sacrifice. Now, some of you have a great memory of your dad. And I'm telling you, me and my dad, when we weren't perfect, mostly because of me. But whether you had a perfect dad or a halfway perfect dad or a not-too-good relationship with your dad, I will assure you once they're gone, you'll remember the good things. Dad was a man got up at 4.30 in the morning and went to work his entire life. Even when he retired, he got up at 4.30 in the morning. He was a man whose life was marked by responsibility. He never stopped sacrificing for his family. A moment ago, we held these babies up here, and Jeff asked you, will you dedicate your life as parents to training them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord? Will you bring them to church? Will you send them to youth camp? Will you take them to the mission field? Will you do the kinds of things you need to put into children so that they realize that they are in a world where they, they need to know God and they need to understand in America how blessed we really are? That's what he asked a moment ago. You see, if you do that every day of your life, you carve a legacy on, on the hearts of your children and grandchildren and they will talk, tell stories of you after you're gone. I buried a man here a few weeks ago. I met with a family and I said, what would you like me to say about him? They said, well, he was good at the stock market. In fact, he was mad this last week in the hospital that he couldn't be in front of his computer screens. He amassed a wealth. In fact, his daughter said he amassed an, a financial empire. I asked the sons what they remembered and they said, they cried. They said he was so hard on us. The one son said, I hadn't talked to my dad in years. It broke my heart. Because I thought to myself, a father needs to be involved in his, his children's life, and his grandchildren's life, every day of their lives if he can. Mine are now 35, 36, 37 years old. When I pick up the phone, I'm always reminded as their father. I'm writing on their hearts. What do they need? What has God taught me that I can pass on? Now, if you're born a Jewish child anywhere in this world, do you know what the, the first verses that those parents teach those Jew, Jewish children to memorize? Do you know what they are? Every one of us in here need to know it. That of the entire Old Testament books of the five books of the Pentateuch, the books of Moses. The most important verses, the first verses, these little babies that were just on this stage, the first verses they need to be taught come from Mark chapter 10. Well, they come from their Old Testament, Leviticus. The Mark chapter 10 in the New Testament for us, I would say to all the parents, that if you haven't taught your children these verses, that before this week's over, you'll say, I'm going to pass on a legacy. I'm going to teach him these verses. Mark chapter 10, verse 17. Oh, I'm sorry. Mark chapter 12, verse 30. That you are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, 
and with all your mind and with all your strength. And the second is like this, that you ought to love your neighbor as yourself. But of all the verses that you teach your children and grandchildren, you sit around the table, we're hunters and fishermen, and we love adventure and all that stuff, and I've taught my boys how to handle guns and the respect for guns. When they Yesterday we were with J.D. and he was showing us his, his deer rifle. He had the barrel pointed up. He opened the action before he handed it to his grandfather. And I looked over at Uncle Don. He used to teach my boys. You point that rifle up, you open the action. Whoever you had it to show it, it's, it's empty. We go through these things as men, as hunters, as fishermen, of, of, of preparation, of lists, of getting our gear cleaned and put up when we get back. All of these things that we think is important to us as men. If you had to sat around the table and turned off the TV and looked over at your kids and said, now what's the most important verse in the Bible? If they look at you and go, well, I don't even see you pick up your Bible. That you open your Bible and you say to them the most important verses. It's called the Great Command and the Great Commission. The Great Command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and your soul and your strength. The Great Commission. Second, to love your neighbor as yourself. That's a legacy. But one day when you're gone and somebody says, what was it that always said to love God with our whole heart and to love our neighbor as ourselves?" That's a legacy, to love the Lord your God. You see, fellas, when I think of my dad's hard work, when I think of him, church wasn't an option. Mom, I never heard mom go, Bob, are we going to church? My dad had a rule in the house. When he told my brother and I to get up, he got one wake-up call. Okay, boys, wake up, time for church. Okay, boys, wake up, it's time for school. Okay, boys, wake up, it's time for work. You got one wake-up call, and he'd give you the Nowry wake-up call, which is usually the water pitcher. You know, we were we, we always had a water pitcher in the refrigerator, you know, big half-gallon. Everybody drank out of it. I don't know how we weren't always sick. They go a plastic pitcher, and we had it full of cold water. Second wake-up call, you got the pitcher. But I want to tell you about my dad. If we worked hard, he never missed a game. We were on the field playing, he was there. Even if he was dirty and not dressed up like the other dads and smelled bad and had concrete all over him, dad was always there. He always took us fishing. Always. Taught us how to put a line on our own reels. I can even remember with my dad when he taught us to make our own fishing poles. Put our own eyes on. They didn't look like much. But boy, we caught fish. What kind of legacy are you writing on the hearts of your children and grandchildren? To love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. The second is this, to love people around you just as you'd love yourself. Legendary basketball coach, who's the winningest Basketball coaches, men and women of all time. Now, if you're in the last service, you can't say. The winningest of all time, NCAA basketball coaches. Men's? Come on, ESPN every year on his birthday, there's a whole thing on him. Who is it? John Wooden, UCLA. Who's the winningest women's coach? In fact, 
the winningest coach of all time, men and women, but the winningest women's coach. Who's that? Pat Summit, Lady Balls. I know that's not popular here. How many of you are Auburn fans? I'm sorry about yesterday. Anyways, let's move off of that. So John Maxwell invites uh, me to invite some pastors to a dinner in Atlanta, and I said, who's going to be there? He said, John Wooden, UCLA, Pat Summit, Lady Balls. I said, you re you're kidding me. I get to invite some guys? Yep, okay. So we get there at the dinner. I'm just in the same room with them. We get a basketball, and John Wooden signs it. I, well, Clint has my oldest son's repossessed it. He has it. John Wooden, Pat Summit, I have a picture with him. John Maxwell walks over and says, I want you to sit at the table with us. I'm just glad to be in the room. You know, you ever felt that way? I'm just glad to be invited. So I'm sitting at the table, and Dr. Maxwell says in, in a minute while we have dinner, everybody gets to ask a question of either Pat Summit or John Wooden. Now, John Wooden's almost 90. He's very grandfatherly, very kind, gentle kind of man. But if you remember Pat Summit, they had nothing kind and gentle and grandfatherly about her. She had the, almost that eagle-like look on her face when she coached. She scared me through the TV screen. <laughs> so I'm at the table, you know, and she's got that look on her face when they ask her a question. They come around me. I'm not asking her something. <laughs> and so I, I was watching during the dinner. I'm watching the dinner. I think it's his wife sitting next to him. He's almost 90, this elderly lady sitting next to him. He drops food on his tie or something, you know, and she reaches over and wipes it off. My wife has to do a lot of that for me these days. My napkin falls on the floor. She found it for Coach Wooden and picked it up. And when he couldn't hear somebody, she'd whisper in his ear and say what he said. And so it came my turn for the question, and I said, Coach Wooden, I said, I've read your books on leadership. I've listened to you. I've been to your seminars. I watch ESPN when all those great basketball players said you were their hero. Got a question for you. Of all the leadership principles that you taught, if your family was here, what would they tell me the greatest leadership principle was you lived to them as they're your family? Remember, I thought I was his wife. And he got teared up and he turned and looked at me and said, I think it would be best for my daughter to answer that question for you, son. He's 90, so she's in her, what, 70s? All of a sudden, this white-haired lady turned and looked at her dad the way only little girls can look at their daddy. Our oldest is my daughter, Ashley, and the other day when I left her at our Hope Center, part of our work in Costa Rica, every time we go to the airport, my wife will tell you she... Rushes around and gets in the car as soon as she drives away because both of us are crying. My little girl. So Coach Wooden's daughter looks at me and said, that's an easy question to answer. You could have heard a pin drop. And she said, Daddy has never stopped sacrificing for our dreams. I don't know about you, but there's a lot of days I feel tired. Anybody else like that? In fact, I feel, I felt tired since I was eight. And I thought to myself at, at a moment that Coach Wood, 90 years old, 
This daughter just said in front of us, Daddy, never stop sacrificing for our dreams. You know, sacrificing for your children and grandchildren's dream isn't always about money. It's not. Sometimes it's just your time and your presence. My wife will tell you, we called my dad at the end of the call every time. I'd say, Pops, anything that I can do for you? He said, just time and kind words. Who can't give their time? Who can't give kind words? Who can't be an encourager? Are you the greatest? Dads, are you the greatest encouragement in your wife's life? Are you the greatest encouragement in your children's life? Do you invest in them such a way that when they see you coming, you just light up, I'll tell you about Don Murphy, that whenever he'd come to church, of all the laymen that I had in that entire church, and I'll say it out publicly, they're recording it, send it anywhere you want. When I would see him walk into church, I'd know we'd be okay. A legacy is marked by responsibility. It's marked by sacrifice. It's marked by what you write on, on the hearts of the people that you love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart. Second, love people more than you love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself is what the Scripture says. So I get to the hospital with my dad. My brother says he's dying. I've taken you to the story at the end where he made the decision not to open his brain and just be made comfortable and go on and see mom. But you know, in all the talks, you remember all the talks you've had with your dad in your lifetime? My dad wasn't a fuzzy feely you know, he never came in and sat down on the side of the bed and said, how you doing, son? He was a morning guy. Get up. It's time to go to work. If I'd ever try and get out of a test, Mom, I don't feel good. Okay, well, that's your father's decision. Oh, no, Mom, I try to get Dad to leave the house. Let me get your Dad. Oh, no, I'll get up. That kind of Dad. Because if he'd come and check my fever... If I rip my face off, boy, I miss him. I miss him a lot. He was hard on me, his oldest. I used to look at my brother, and I still do to this day. How come you didn't get any of those weapons? I used to get whipped for my brother and for me. So we're sitting in the hospital before they've said they wanted to open his brain. Sunday before the Tuesday when I prayed for him. We're in this, uh, in this room, and this poor fellow next to us, dear sweet man, no family alive, no family to look out after him, a Korean War veteran, he's on his way to, to see God. Both TVs blaring, you know, you've been in those rooms, nobody's paying attention, you just don't know what to do, you're watching the TV, I'm there with that. And he reaches over and he's rubbing my arm. You have to know my dad, he didn't rub anything. And it was awkward, you know. I don't care if you're 60 or you're 15. Dad's rubbing my arm. And so I turn around and look at him, and he's just staring at me. Tears in his eyes, his lips quivering. I'd only ever seen my dad cry three times in his life. I said, you okay, Pops? Last talk I had with my dad. Nobody's there but me and him. And he's trying to struggle to get those words out. And I said, Dad, it's okay. You all, you all right? 
He said, son, I'm, I'm sorry I was so hard on you. And in a knee-jerk reaction, you know how before you think? I said, oh, Pops, you weren't hard on me. And the minute I said it, I wanted to say, you dadgum right you were too hard on me. But I said it. Oh, Dad, it's okay. You weren't that hard on me. He said, yes, I was. For the rest of my life, however long that is, if I don't live another day or I live 25 more years, the last words to me. He said, I just wanted you to amount to something. You look at a man that worked in coal mines and steel mills and was a bridge builder. He never had much money, never owned his own house. You know, the other day when my dad died, my brother and I settled everything out. He didn't have a debt. We had little memories and precious things that over the years him and mom had. We didn't have any money. But dad kept his word. Paid his bills. He helped everybody that, that had a hand, that needed a hand up. I had people coming to me saying, your dad gave me $20 for groceries when, we, when he knew we didn't have any money. He gave me an extra week's pay when I knew you and your family needed help. I heard more stories about my dad, and so at the end, as we closed that little trailer and sold it, this week we go and set those ashes to rest next to my mom. I'll remember his last words. Son, I just wanted you to amount to something. There's not a man in here, whether it's one of these young men here or, or men like Don and I that, that have silver in our hair that, that don't want our kids or grandkids one day to say, not what we write on that, on that monument, on that, that marker that what matters is what Dad wrote on our hearts. And I want every man in here to have his wife, his children and grandchildren to say about him. He loved God with all of his heart. And he loved people and put them before himself. He was a man marked by responsibility and a man marked by sacrifice. Remember, sacrifice is when you give up something you love for something you love more. Then you need to love your families that way. That's the legacy to leave behind. Let's bow our heads together in prayer. You're here this morning, especially men, but men and ladies, that God has spoken to your heart this morning and there's things that stand between you and God. Listen, let it go. Give it up. I beg you. I plead with you. Don't let any sin be in your life. Don't let anything that that you know you ought not to be doing to stand between you and writing a legacy of loving God with your whole heart and, and putting other people ahead of yourself. And so if this morning I'll not embarrass you, I promise I'm not going to call you out. just want to remember you in prayer. But if this morning you just pray a prayer of rededication, you just say, you know, God, forgive me for my sins. I'm a Christian man, a Christian woman. There are things in my life ought not to be here, and I want to be the kind of man or woman that, that my kids and grandkids know that I loved God with my whole heart, and I loved the people around me, starting with my wife or my husband, my kids and grandkids, that I put other people ahead of myself. You pray that prayer to God and rededicate your life. Quietly, right there, right now at your seat. 
Just tell God. Tell Him that. Tell Him you're going to be the man or woman God wants you to be. And if you're here this morning, and you can't say that if you stood before God today, God looked into your face and said, why should I let you into my heaven? You don't, you don't have the right answer. You, you don't know exactly what the right answer is. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him will not perish but have everlasting life. And this morning at my church in Columbus, Georgia, you can mark it down as my dad did. It was, it was today that I gave my heart to Jesus. That prayer, if you'd like to pray it right now for the first time inviting Jesus into your life, goes like this. You pray it right there at your seat. Dear God, I'm a sinner. And I'm sorry for my sins. And this morning here at my church in Columbus, Georgia, I'm asking you, Jesus, to come into my life and become my Savior and my Lord. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were raised from the dead. And I want to follow you the best way I know how. In Jesus' name. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. If you just prayed that prayer and invited Christ into your life for the first time, I'm not going to call you out and embarrass you. I want to pray for you. Would you just raise your hand up and say, I prayed that prayer this morning? Thank you. God bless you. Thank you. Over here. God bless you. God bless you. And a moment ago, those of you that prayed and rededicated your life said, there are things between God and I, and you made that right this morning. You're not ashamed of that decision, but you'd say, Pastor, pray for me this morning that, that I'd have the courage and the strength to love God with a whole heart and to love the people God's put around me more than myself. You prayed that prayer. Can I see your hand? Father, you've seen these hands and you know the hearts of these good people. I pray for them in the days that are ahead. Let us finish this year well. Let us be, Father, for you what the apostles were, that even to the end of their life, they served you faithfully. And one day when our children stand around us and our grandchildren, let them say that we loved you with our whole heart and we loved them and put them ahead of us. That is my prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.